0: You're listening to Privacy Files, the podcast that makes privacy approachable for businesses and consumers alike. This episode is brought to you by Anonymy Labs, makers of MySudo, the world's only all-in-one privacy app. And Sudo Platform, the cloud-based platform companies turn to for seamlessly integrating privacy solutions into their software. Welcome to episode number 36 of Privacy Files. I'm Rich. And I'm Sarah. In our last episode, we kicked off a multi-part series on the bad lands of the internet, the dark web, giving you the history, some terminology, and a sampling of what goes on in this peculiar world. Today, we're continuing our examination of the dark web by zooming in on its culture and helping us with this endeavor is Evan Blicker. Evan spent several years with the Pasco County Sheriff's Office in Pasco County, Florida. During this time with the Sheriff's Office, he served as a first responder, conducting criminal investigations in the field, Handled hostage negotiations and worked as a cyber crimes detective, where, among many things. Evan specialized in the dark web. Evan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be awesome. I, I've really been looking forward to hearing a, a law enforcement or former law enforcement perspective on the dark web and what goes on. And I've learned, sir, and I both have learned so much here just in the last few days. A lot of things I had no idea about the dark web.
1: Yeah. And your background's interesting. So I'm excited to hear some stuff.
2: Yeah, I get that a lot. It's a very unique background, uh, especially now transitioning into the private sector. It's, it's definitely a, a very well-talked about point because it's just not
0: common. Okay, Sarah, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's open up a case file on the culture of the dark web. So, Evan, why don't you just go ahead and take as much time as you want and just give us a little bit of your background and the journey that you've taken that has led you to a career in investigating cyber threats and crimes and just gathering intelligence overall inside the dark web.
2: Yeah. Uh, so computers have always been a big part of my life since the fifth grade in wanting to play Flight Simulator 95. Uh, um, and, and through Flight Simulator, I learned so much about computers and coding, which eventually led me down the path. To when i decided to i wanted to be in law enforcement and investigate cyber crimes so i got hired with my with the pasco county sheriff's office as my first agency with the hopes of one day making it to their cyber crimes team which i was able to do and i did a lot of other very amazing things along the way like being a hostage negotiator for just about five years where i got to be you know a squad leader on the team i got to kind of be the technical sourcer for the team and the technical trainer when it came to developing our select cellular wireless throw phones for the team, which was nice. But I I got my start as a detective as something called a TFO, which stands for task force officer. So the uh, federal law enforcement uh, community has this program that allows state and local law enforcement officers to have the same kind of rights and responsibilities as special agents, and they're called TFOs. And the program has a lot of really good purpose because state and local law enforcement officers have different arrest authorities than a federal law enforcement officer does. So they have us come on board so that way we can assist them as much as possible. And my start was as a dark web investigator. It was something brand new to the office, the HSI office that I was at, uh, as well as for my agency. Uh, there had been somebody there initially for a couple months as a placeholder, but he had a online gaming company that he was leaving <laughs> law enforcement to go run full time. And he was actually my, my field training officer, uh, Darren Hill. He was amazing detective, an amazing cop. So I took over when he left and did dark web investigations full time for about 10 to 12 months before my agency's needs kind of changed. At that point in time, Dark Web became a little bit more of a collateral duty, and I went full time into investigating ICAC cases, which stands for Internet Crimes Against Children, which was a, a very rewarding part. I became certified in digital forensics for both cell phones and uh, mobile devices and computers. It was, a you know, it's it's a difficult job to do at times mentally, but the it is very rewarding to know that you're protecting kids on the Internet, which is a very dangerous place for them. But during that time i uh i did a lot of dark web stuff collaterally either through hsi or for my agency whenever needs or things arised and and stayed on top of it until last year when i left to my current employer where i'm a uh, senior cyber threat investigator specializing in dark web intelligence for them and i'm building out a dark web investigations vertical for them.
0: it's interesting i i used to know someone in law enforcement i think is i think it was in san diego actually And he made a comment how because he he was also in a similar situation where he had a side business. And it seems like there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in law enforcement.
2: Yeah, there is. Uh, A lot of it comes down to in a lot of law enforcement agencies. You do not make a lot of money and families are expensive. So instead of working off duty jobs or if their agency just doesn't have access to off duty jobs, then when you work patrol and you work 12 hour shifts, you're full time and you're only working 14 days a month. You have 14 days off out of the month. So there's time to start landscaping business or pressure washing business or or what. But my friend my that I took over for, he had that business before he became law enforcement. He had it and still wanted to be a cop. That was his dream and and he lived it out and he was very good at it. Uh, it was uh, He was a great field training officer and he was a great detective TFO or a great detective field training officer as well. So
1: I think you mentioned that doing dark web investigation was sort of new to the sheriff's office. So it doesn't sound like maybe you trained there. How did you get started in like your interest in the dark web? Where did you start dipping your toes?
2: So that was on my personal time. I got into the network side of learning computers from programming and just wanting to learn how to build out my own network, make things faster. I enjoyed building computers, I had a lot of fun. And then I got into the cybersecurity type of stuff where I developed, I wanted to go into cybercrime investigations. So I started just learning stuff on my own. I would read stuff or passively look at sites that were on the dark web as I started gaining my interest in cybersecurity, in penetration, testing on my own lab equipment, to see if I could figure out how to solve these puzzles. So my initial knowledge in it all was my own personal edification. And then also I I was privacy conscious like the rest of us. You know, my absolute favorite operating system in the world is Linux. And if it wasn't for Flight Simulator 2020, which is still (laughs) an ongoing thing in my life, all of my computers would be a Linux operating system. So, but my initial was just my own curiosity of wanting to learn about things that were going on, especially when it was related to cybercrime, because I dedicated all of my law enforcement career to making it to cybercrimes. I took a somewhat untraditional path from patrol direct to cybercrimes detective without having been a detective in a more of a, what some people might call like a stepping stone detective spot like property crimes or something like that. The only detective spot I applied for was cyber crimes. It's the only one I continued to apply for until I got it. Cause it was, it was all I wanted. I focused solely on that mission and until I accomplished it.
0: I guess awesome. the, the common theme is you, you really, you mentioned you really do love solving puzzles. And I, and I wonder, as I was looking through your LinkedIn bio in, when you start out, I guess, as a patrol officer, you're talking about doing a lot of field work, you know, criminal investigations. I'm, I'm sure that piqued your interest too. And in just wanting, you know, having a competitive spirit, wanting to solve problems and just taking it, you know, just to that next level in, the, on, on the internet.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's uh, when law enforcement goes to work, to them, it's just a Tuesday. But for the people that they're interacting with, it's the worst day of their entire life. And that empathy needs to be had. And while you're there and you're dealing with whatever situation that they're going through, to, to be able to figure out the solution, to hopefully make their day slightly better, to to give them some step in the right direction for closure is amazing. And those are high stress, high pressure decisions and ideas that you're coming up with to try to solve, because you can go to the same house, deal with the same people for the same reason. And each time you go, it's something different.
0: And we, uh, a few episodes back, we interviewed, uh, I think it was Tom Chavez, who's a private investigator, I think Northern California, I think Sacramento area, maybe or San Jose. I can't remember exactly where he is, but It was interesting because he talked about OSINT or, you know, open source intelligence. And you've got that mentioned on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, And it's so fascinating how much because he worked also in conjunction with local law enforcement to solve some crimes. And I think he does a lot of work on the dark web. We never got into it there with him. But how much information you can find that's just free and publicly available?
2: It is it is absolutely astonishing. And the crazy thing is, is that the majority of people don't know that that information is available. They don't know how it can be utilized against them. If somebody wanted to stalk them or if they became a target of some type of cybercrime, how you can really manipulate a person by knowing that much information on them. I always, when I give a lot of Internet safety speeches to kids, I did while I was a cop and I still do through volunteering now... And I always equate to the, when I tell them how dangerous the internet is, I equate it to driving, right? We all drive, we all leave our house to go to Target or to go to whatever store. We expect that we're going to make it home and there's not going to be any issues. But if you look at the statistics and the math, well, that's not the case. Yes, we may go 20 years without a car crash and that's fantastic. Or we may go three weeks and have four car crashes. It just, it all depends. And the internet's the same way because most people go to the same eight, nine, 10 websites for years, nothing bad ever happens and to one day that it does and now it's it's huge, especially kids. Kids are the biggest victims of that because they're in the stage of their life where they're learning from their mistakes and they're going to make mistakes and because parents and people that are in their community that are leaders like their teachers and after-school curricular people don't have that understanding to teach them or to talk to them about it. That's why sex portion is such on the rise for kids nowadays, because they don't know when they're making the mistakes. And by the time they realize it, it's it's too late for them.
0: Before Sarah gets into some of the activities uh, that you saw and how you would best, I guess, best characterize the dark web. I think one question I had for you is when you're doing detective work on the dark web, is it mostly about just exploration to see what you find? Or do you typically have some kind of a lead or something or someone you're looking for?
2: That depends on the situation of what you're looking for. Sometimes it's we're just gonna go see what we can find that may be relevant to our current situation or to a problem that we may be having, or you may be looking at the dark web to see what new problems are arising so we can get ahead of them on our end so we don't have those issues. And then other times you may have, law enforcement may have a lead on on a vendor that is selling illegal material or whatever the case is, and now they're gonna try to track down every little piece of information on that person to, to try to, to solve the problem.
1: Interesting. Yeah, in our last episode, it actually hasn't released yet. It's right. gonna be, yeah, right. any day now. But we sort of talked about the, sort of the two sides of it. Like we always hear this dark, scary side of the dark web and you shouldn't go there, there's terrible things there. But we also talked about how there are people looking into it that it may not be as terrible as it's been made out to sound. So sort of given your law enforcement background, what, being a, as objective as possible, do you feel the dark web is a place of mostly good or bad activities?
2: Yeah, so that is a huge misconception. Uh, mostly, I I think, due, due to just media and, and how movies portray hackers in general and the dark web. The last statistic I saw was only 57% of the dark web, and I believe it was mostly related to Tor, was used for illegal purposes, right? The There are so many amazing, really, really good reasons to have a privacy centric internet for people to use people that are in you know countries that completely lock down and control the flow of information or people even here in America that are whistleblowing on illegal things that companies are doing or governments are doing there's lots of different very valid very positive ways if let's say oh somebody's a domestic violence victim and they have a stalker who's advanced in technology well using something like tor to be safe and anonymous online is a very valid thing for them to keep them safe so the dark web gets this scary name of the dark web but it it's not as cool as the dark web sounds it's it's just a regular internet that requires an extra piece of software to keep you anonymous and to encrypt your traffic and the websites look all the same some of them look like it's it's 1999 and we're on aol again (laughs) with angel fire sites Sometimes it runs as slow as 56K, but nonetheless, it's just the normal internet. And that's a a huge misconception, especially when people get into building out investigations programs for the first time, or they get into a new role. Leadership will say, oh, this is a technological crime. So there has to be information on the dark web. Well, that's not true. The dark web is a community and it's built of a lot of different people. Some are very, very bad. Some are security researchers who are just learning how to better protect and defend the networks that they're you know, working for. Others are collaborating in a space that's not moderated and they're able to be safe because they are privacy conscious. And others are people in countries where the regime and the government there just does not allow them access to valid information to keep them safe and secure.
1: Yeah, when we were talking about it, it's like, it sounds like something... I would love to be able to explore, but we were also talking about, we were worried if you you could be tagged as, you know, oh, this person's searching the dark. I don't want to be on somebody's list or be tagged for something because I'm out there. Is it something that I think we even ended the show by saying just to be safe, maybe just avoid it if you're not high profile. But do you think it's something that we could safely explore without being worried about being tagged? Or is it going to depend on what I'm I'm searching for? If, you know, maybe my government doesn't like that I'm searching for something against them. Like, what is it just better to avoid it or should I not be so worried?
2: So I will say that if you do not have a real use case for being on there, don't. Right, Some sites on the dark web are designed to use, for instance, JavaScript to inject things back into the computer to maybe include them into a botnet or whatever the case is. And a lot of the people that are on there, a lot of the bad actors that are on there are extremely intelligent. They know what they're doing. They plan and are very methodical. And you could always land yourself into a trap. Now, worried about being put on some type of list, well, your ISP, if you're using Tor without a VPN, will see that you're having some type of Tor traffic. They won't know what traffic you have, they'll just know that it's, it's Tor traffic or some type of dark web traffic, and your ISP may not like it. They may say, hey, this person may be up to something we don't like, we need to monitor that, and if your ISP is the only one in the area, and they ban you, well, you might lose internet access, which wouldn't be good. As so much for like a law enforcement worry, I don't know of any list unless if law enforcement does a site takedown and they gain access to the servers of tracking people using the dark web. Now, I could be completely wrong. I, I just never saw any of that in my career. But if they take down a site and they will ha- get access to the servers, they can very well see your username, you know, some type of information that they might be able to follow up with OSINT or through other databases to try to link it back to an individual person. But again, Torrent itself, the server, the web server that hosts the .onion site only sees the exit node. It doesn't see the originating IP address. So it's not like they would have your IP address, but there are other cybersecurity risks in going to some of these sites, especially if they're sites based around some type of illicit material. So you don't need to go to them it's typically
1: better not to. So I guess the consensus is still, if you just don't need (laughs) it. Yeah. It just, I guess sounded so tempting because it does just sound like this place where it's, I mean, yeah, it's like the wild West, but it was like also just access to all the information that some of us may like to see both sides of every story, you know, rather than it being so tailored. So it did sound so tempting to go out there, but at the same time, I'm not sure the risks are there. So it still sounds like just avoid it if you don't need it, I guess
2: if you don't need to go there's no point it's again the dark web is not as exciting as it's made out to be you're not it's not hacker man sitting on the other side like the gamer from south park you know <laughs> just trying to attack everybody it's it's not it's not like that it, again it's just regular websites that are not moderated that in some cases are centered around some type of illegal activity or in other cases aren't. I mean, the New York Times has a dark website. I believe the NYPD has a dot onion. Facebook has a dot onion that they host. There's valid reasons for being on there. And if privacy is a concern and you want to get your news from the New York Times and you have a privacy concern, then that's perfectly fine. But if you want to go to the forms and things like that. One, most forms require some type of form of authentication to get to anything of real value, which is always a difficult thing for anybody. So when you start going down that authentication route, if that server gets taken down, then yeah, you may very well end up on a BI field office as a a person of interest that they want to go talk to you about. But
1: I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not sure like how much you can share. But what's sort of the worst type of activity you saw on the dark web as a cyber crimes detective?
2: So, anything uh, CSAM related. Mm. So, uh, for those that don't know, CSAM stands for a child sexual abuse material. So, anything CSAM rated is first, in my opinion, no matter what.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: just because the 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 kids are are victims and and a lot of times they don't know that they're being victimized. And it's definitely horrific to see. So anything related to that is bad. and, And unfortunately, some of the sites that you go to, which is why in the few times that I've done my own dark web trainings in law enforcement, I never do a live demo because you could go to a marketplace today and all of the ads are all safe for work. And then the next day, it's a CSAM ad that's popped up on there. Uh, for a CSAM website to go to or something along those lines. And somebody who doesn't need to see that stuff, you don't
0: need to see it. That's interesting. Really? I, I didn't even think to ask that question. So, so there's even an advertising infrastructure in the dark web for illegal yes. activity. Wow. Good gracious. Advertising. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't even have imagined say that. It,
1: I'm not sure. Am I allowed to say it? That's ballsy. Like, are you able, like, if you see that, I guess on that side of it, can you track that down and try to is that how you can pinpoint these people and try to take them down or is it really hard?
2: It's difficult tracking down individual like sites and where they're hosted at because the ones who have well-known and established sites... They are very smart in their hosting, they're very smart in their cybersecurity, and they do make it very difficult. That's why if you've ever seen any of the sites that have been taken down by law enforcement, there's always multiple agencies. It's not just one agency, it's multiple agencies across multiple countries that all had to work in concert to be able to to take that down. In a lot of cases, like with Silk Road that everybody knows, the FBI staged a domestic violence situation in order to catch the Dread Pirate Roberts on his computer, with his computer open, to then be able to prove he is the one who is administering the site. Like they had to go through the whole charade of doing that in order to to truly prove and find where everything was because it is it is based on being anonymous and encrypted and being difficult
0: to find. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor.
1: Are you tired of big tech spying on you? MySudo is the world's only all-in-one app that gives you back control of your privacy. By creating digital profiles, or pseudos, you can compartmentalize your online activities by setting up a unique phone number, email address, and handle for things like shopping, accessing free content, and using dating apps. This breaks the data trail linking back to your personal info, thus reducing your digital exhaust. Each pseudo also includes a private web browser with add and tracker blocker want to stop companies from sharing data related to your transactions and spending habits set up a mysudo virtual card and bring peace of mind that your transactions are secure and private to learn more visit mysudo.com that's mysudo.com stay private so how long would it take maybe like if you find something and you guys start a project do you like create a team how long would it take would you say to solve something like that
2: so, I don't have an exact answer for that. It could take years, it could take months. It all depends on you're just the like waiting situation. for them to
1: slip up, maybe, or try to.
2: Oh, the, the slip up is what you're always praying for. Um, typically in investigations, you start by looking for the earlier slip ups of a person, right? Uh, going back to Silk Road, if I recall properly, he had made a post, uh, trying to gain somebody on a clear website. He had made a post trying to gain an administrator. And the email that he provided was a personal email, which is a huge, you don't do that, that's bad, right? That's an attributable email. And that's one of the things that he did that led the FBI to finding whether or not he was the administrator of the site. So you're always looking for the earlier slip ups or any current slip ups. And the longer somebody does it, typically the better that they get. So um, it depends.
1: Is that the thing we talked about last episode, Silk Road? Or yeah. is that, we're, I'm gonna have to dig into that. I keep It's popping and, up and I'm gonna have to go dig and into it that did, story. I mean,
0: do new versions or iterations continue to pop up like 2.0, 3.0 and the law enforcement keeps shutting them down?
2: Uh, yes, and law enforcement goes after the marketplaces as much as they can, but there's several marketplaces that are, are open at one time. They're very profitable. Typically, marketplaces shut down for one of two reasons. One, law enforcement intervention, or two, the Marketplace did what is called an exit scam. So, and as we talk about the community of the dark web, uh, and we touched on this a little earlier when it came to advertising on the dark web, the dark web in the illicit side of stuff with Marketplaces is probably amazing businesses. Like they, they probably, if they were legit businesses would be very, very successful, right? Customer service, top notch on the dark web, better than you'll ever have in your entire life. Um, you know, trust ratings between people, it's trust is the most important thing, right? Because it's, we're both doing illegal things, and we can't see each other. And it has, you know, the internet between us. So I have to make sure everybody trusts me and love me. So that way I get more customers. Um, and also marketplaces, they want to get more people to do business on their marketplace. So they build out an escrow for cryptocurrency. So instead of, saying, hey, I'll give you this $5 of Monero for this file, and then sending the money and not getting the file. Well, now I don't trust this site. I don't trust this person. You put the $5 into the marketplace, and when you receive the file, the marketplace releases the funds automatically. And So it's all about business. And um, so what will happen is is marketplaces will shut down. They'll exit scam. The uh, owners and operators of the site We'll say hey we got five million dollars in monero nobody can tra- trace this we're going to shut down the site and run away with the money and we're going to be retired
0: wow and or that happens when in some cases they go spin up another operation somewhere else or they're like yeah we pressed our luck we're good
2: yeah they typically you know they know that people are looking for them and are unhappy they typically that's retirement we're done <laughs> they may spin up another name but they're not you know typically not spinning up another marketplace
0: so when a criminal enterprise, it's, it's a business still, I mean, whether it's illegal or not, they need employees. Are there job boards for this, for these kinds of activities on the dark web?
2: Typically, they they will find each other through forums and through the community. A big part of the dark web is also deep web spaces. So Telegram and, and Discord and, and other, other chat usage is where they will connect or they might connect in a game and they become friends and they have similar interests and then hey i'm building this do you want to help do you want to be a part of it because that's the the crazy thing with the internet and it's one thing that people don't understand is that everything on the internet that was built for a really good and solid purpose there's always somebody there that's trying to find a way to use it for a not good and not solid purpose right and and that's what happens they use that those methods of meeting people and maybe they share data at one point in time and they spun up a connection and hey is this something you're interested in or if it's somebody who maybe they are like an access broker where they gain access to networks and sell that and they have a really high trust rating hey your programming skills are fantastic. We really need a PHP programmer for our website, or we need a SQL server for the, you know, person for the end. you know, is this something you want to do? And we'll pay you like this and, it's it's all it's all very much you know he said she said i know this person from that person they're really cool people and, and they could help us
1: oh, wow. hearing how much trust is involved maybe it's not for me i have low <laughs> trust with stuff like even our local utah it's called like ksl.com they've classified you can buy people's tickets and stuff. i've been scanned i'm like i don't even trust my own local marketplace let alone something on the dark web so it's definitely not for me if i've got trust issues <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have never personally bought much or bought anything on the dark web personally. Uh, stuff through work is different. But yeah, trust is everything on the dark web. And vendors who are good and successful vendors, they will... You know, if something goes wrong with a purchase and you lose that purchase and it's kind of no fault of your own, there are vendors out there who will replace the purchase, no questions asked, without any additional funding because they want that trust to be uh, kept. Uh, They want you, you know, everybody to know that they're a good person to buy from because a good vendor with really good trust can be hard to come by and they know that everybody will go to them if they have that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder how that credibility is sort of built it's like i doubt there's some rating system some yelp system for the dark web like how do you find those trusted?
2: you you say that and there is (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) there there is (laughs) most marketplaces most marketplaces will have reviews like amazon uh, of the vendor and they have uh typically a star rating so you want a five-star vendor
1: (laughs) so uh, you don't
2: want a one-star vendor
1: okay Uh, um, oh (laughs) that's cool When I tell you that,
2: that people on the, uh, you know, marketplaces and people in these spaces are very professional in a lot of things that they do. uh, It's not a joke. Oh, interesting.
1: (laughs) It is. I'm like trying to get this, like, it's like cognitive dissonance. I'm like trying to just learn and like see it in such a different light, you know, trying to unlearn what you think about the dark web. And I'm like, oh, okay. It is legit. Oh, there are trustworthy people. It's like, you're trying to. It's like
0: the typical criminal world. There's a lot of smart people if they just applied it to something a little bit more legal.
1: Yes. Oh, interesting.
2: Absolutely. Listen, you know, a lot of people that especially ones that are doing complex and uh, very lucrative uh, crimes, however they are, they're extremely intelligent. And for whatever reason, their their life path led them to making the decisions that they make. And in a lot of cases, it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It's just that's where they ended up making these types of choices. But they are very, very intelligent. I remember this was years and years and years ago, but there was like a drug kingpin in New York that was like 16 or 17 when he was arrested for like this major drug operation. And they provided him an IQ test. And like he was out of the park, intelligent in his IQ. And the psychologists that were interviewing him, they figured that if he would have had You know made better life choices or had the ability to make better life choices that he would have been a ceo of a fortune 100 company without issue and it would have been extremely successful
1: there needs to be some like rehab or halfway house for these people to be like we need your skills but we need you to do this in a legal positive way let's take you over somewhere well a
2: lot of your top penetration testers are former reformed hackers you know they get caught and next thing you know they're now providing security information. Kevin Mitnick is is one of them, right? One of the like most famous people in that space, you know, was arrested and and had all of these issues and kind of developed a lot of things related to phone freaking and hacking and and now he, you know, speaks at major cybersecurity conferences.
1: He just got that so. second chance to turn it around and use it for good. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool.
0: So Evan, when we talk about the culture of the Dark web. I mean, is it possible to characterize it as a universal culture or do you have to break it into groups?
2: I would probably say I typically look at it as, as a universal culture. Um, but there are different groups on there, right? There are people who are trying to further their criminal enterprise in either selling narcotics or selling hack for hire services or ransomware or or some type of virus or script. And then you also have people that are security researchers or who are going out there. To to, to learn and develop ways to prevent and protect systems against it. Then you have people who are just curious and just want a place that they can kind of talk and deal with people in an unmoderated space where they feel safe and be a part of these forms. And then you also have the people that are, are using those services or using that because of, you know, the government that they live under and trying to get access to valid information or things that are, are going on. So there's definitely a lot of groups there, but I look at it as all one big kind of complete group, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, sure. And is is most of the dark web, you have to know what you're doing to get to where you're going? Or are there like table of content sites or index sites that you can look and click on links? I mean, is it a little bit more tricky to navigate, I guess, is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. So you don't have something as good as Google or bing uh to help you find what you want but there are search engines on Tor that will pull links and sites for you to go to they're not as great as google or bing would be but you do have that stuff and you do a lot of times need to know where you're going uh there's also like link sites that will provide you with the link and it'll tell you if the site is up or down because tor is having a a huge problem right now with ddos attacks on sites so a lot of sites are getting kind of taken down because of DDoSing until the DDoSing stops or they correct whatever safety issue, security issue is going on to bring the site back up. So you'll have link sites that will tell you kind of like the main marketplaces or, you know, the uh, New York Times site, and it will provide you the link for it that you can go to and it'll tell you if the site is, is running or not. And then there's also command line tools that you can use as well.
1: So, I was going to ask, like, so if somebody's just sort of spending enough time poking around, will they pick up sort of the nuances of how it works? Or is it like, I don't know, is that sort of the way to go about it? Or how are you? learning to navigate the dark web? Is it just I don't want to say trial and error, because I'd get in trouble poking around the wrong places. But is that how you do it?
2: Yeah, uh, kind of a a mix of everything. So there are clear web places that talk about things that are going on in the dark web, where you can interact and ask questions and people will provide you answers. Then you can also take you know your own research role where you start just Googling about stuff and, and learning things. And maybe you come across a command line tool that searches or you come across a link site to where you can just click on stuff and kind of see. Uh, but to really get truly into the dark web and stuff that's going on there, you either need to have a dark web intelligence vendor, a, a company that goes on, scrapes the data themselves, puts it into a platform that's searchable, by you or you need to be involved in the community talking to people and finding out more and more stuff, right? One is a little bit more risky than the other, especially for a company that would want to do this, you know, rely on on vendors. Vendors are very good at what they do and have a vendor strategy for that because it also makes searching things much quicker, right? When you can regex or boolean search for data, you can find what you need pretty quickly. Uh, as opposed to having to do it manually. And a lot of it does kind of come down to trial and error. I'm going to go onto this form because I want to interact with these people and learn from them. And then find out. Well, this isn't the form that I thought it was. This is a bad idea. And then moving on to the next. Again, when going to these sites, if the the purpose behind them is something illicit, then yeah, you could open yourself up to risk doing that. So you, uh, but so, not all forums that are on the dark web are there for illicit reasons. Again, got,
1: yeah. And you've mentioned these forums. Do these people have like their own language or vernacular? Or like when you guys are, especially, I guess when you're investigating. Is there like a lot of code you guys have got to learn? How does that work?
2: Yeah, uh, with everything on the internet, the internet has its own language. So for instance, if if you're wanting to look up something like uh, some type of narcotic, uh, the narcotic may have its own name on the dark web, right? Uh, or this strand or this type of narcotic may be called, you know, car or truck or boat or whatever, they decide to name it. And it's the same thing when you're dealing with Technology stuff. Some stuff is regular. What what it is in the industry, it is on the dark web, and other times, like if we're talking about like ID verification, right? In the industry, it might be IDV or ID verification, but on the dark web, it's liveness check, right? They are checking to see if you're alive, and then that's how they may produce it. So, it, typically, you can kind of just if you spent enough time in AOL chat rooms, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in your youth, you can kind of pick it up pretty quick. So,
1: with my personal curiosity. Um, with regard to the child stuff that you have investigated, do you guys send out like a keyword search for things that, you know, are what's what's the word I'm looking for? They sort of use symbolic words for things that you may want to look look for. Yeah.
2: Uh, so the when it comes to CSAM related investigations, peer to peer ICAT cases like that, it's uh, that. And I hate to have to say it like this, but it really is that community community does have their own language of things that they call certain things or how they they name it that you pick up as you're an ICAC investigator having to to research and investigate right. that stuff. So, But a lot of times the sites that get investigated and taken down because the ICAC problem is, is massive, right? And luckily there's organizations like NECMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that help and try to give investigators and victims a lot of resources. A lot of times investigators can only really focus on the tips that are coming into them because they are just receiving it's like jerking through a fire hose oh, where sure. the pump is on full blast and it's the handle's broken and you can't slow it down
1: yeah so I remember a lot over of the last few years hearing and like lists were going around saying like if you see people talking about these words it's in relation to these types of kids or things like that and i wondered how valid that really is because it's been going around Absolutely. and is it su- like you would say it's it's valid
2: Oh, absolutely. It's valid. You know, any subset of people that are into similar things will come up with shorthand and and different jargon, right? Law enforcement has jargon, cybersecurity, you know, industry has their own jargon, and that jargon is different from IT administrators jargon and, you know, It's everybody kind of just develops their own shorthand. And so that happens. um, Code words, yeah. With, with, uh, with that type of stuff. So, yeah. So those keywords would, you know, when we're using a vendor tool, those keywords would be things that we obviously monitor to see new and recent activity coming up.
1: God, it's mm. going to be hard to stay up on. It's like, I think of how parents nowadays, we're just trying to like, keep up on the lingo and make sure like, what are they texting about? What are these, you know, acronyms mean? And so for you guys, it's like, you've got to stay up on all this stuff so that you can stay on type, stay on top of the crime and look for it.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that was, uh, you know, while I was a detective doing that stuff, you know, my partner, I would come across things. And that we hadn't known. Hey, do you know this word? No, I don't know that word. All right, let's try the urban dictionary and see what comes up. Let's, let's try to do this. And then that would just be something, it would be a learning experience for both of us. But, you know, parents, I don't think parents need to worry so much about some of the acronyms. Uh, I think, you know, because and I can get on a soapbox about this forever, but the biggest thing for parents in internet safety is communication. If you are having regular talks about actual dangers that are on the internet for kids, you can prevent most of it. And and you could also teach them to identify when they're making a mistake, so that way it doesn't become an actual problem. But yeah, it's, yeah, there's a lot. In, I think we brought cases. that
1: up on like our TikTok episode. We were talking about child safety on the internet and that yeah. was always number one that came up was that open communication with your kids.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure parents are, will be listening. Uh, NECMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has a website for kids that has interactive videos that has um, really good stuff to help you talk to them and teach them called Net Smarts with a Z. Um, I'm writing these and down, that is but- a, <laughs> a very good resource. So I, I know we're getting, we're we're kind of getting sidetracked from the Tarkov talk, but you know, it's no,
1: I'm all for it. Do you say so? NECMEC, can you spell yeah, that? Yeah, NECMEC, out?
2: NEC, uh, uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Exploited and children. then the website that they have separate of that is a uh, net smart with a Z, that's uh, smart. dot com, I believe it is. Okay. Um, I'm looking, and that's look also that. a really good place that if you come across something online that you feel is potential CSAM related information, you can go on there and report it. It's called a cyber tip. You can take a screenshot, provide them the URL, provide them all the information. And they're they're an, an NGO clearinghouse. They're a non-government organization clearinghouse. So all of the companies that deal with the internet that may have a potential CSAM issue has to report all CSAM stuff to NECMEC. And then NECMEC has analysts that filter it out to the law enforcement agencies that can deal with it. And um, but you as a a normal person can can report anything on there that you find to be, hey, this I think this is a problem. Let's let's report this.
1: Yeah, having those resources for parents. It's just I've even talked to my own parents are like, I can't imagine raising kids nowadays. There's just so much out there that you're just trying to not only protect your kid from finding, but to protect your kid from ending up on. And so I, I know it sort of feels like it's like we've gone off on a tangent, but hearing that the dark web, this is such a huge problem. Like it's it's all related. So it's definitely not off on a tangent. I appreciate it.
2: Oh, of course. Listen, I I will talk about Internet safety for uh, related to kids all day. I believe the only way that we can get ahead of that problem to protect kids is through education. And it's not just education for the kids. It's education for the parents. Um when I volunteer and give internet safety speeches, you know the bulk of my speech is directed at the kids. And then the last 10, 15 minutes, I look at all the parents and say, all right, put your phones away. You guys need to pay attention to me now because this is a conversation for you guys. And I have that because it's education for both. It's a team effort Absolutely. because kids, as humans, we learn best from our mistakes, right? You will forget your success quicker than you'll forget a mistake. And kids are are making their own mistakes every single day. So you want to teach them to identify that and then, you know, turn it into a learning experience. As my dad used to always tell me after I made a massive mistake, turn it into a learning experience. Therefore, it's not a mistake anymore because you learned and you can move on from it. So I like that.
0: Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. The global average cost of a data breach is nearly four and a half million dollars, but that's viewing it from a liability perspective. Today, privacy is a value proposition for software providers. When you develop a reputation for protecting customers' personal information, you don't just acquire new customers, you make them loyal. And Platform is the world's premier cloud platform for providing developers with a menu of enterprise-ready SDKs and APIs that make integrating privacy solutions into your software so easy. Built for developers by developers, from identity wallets and password managers to virtual cards and secure encrypted communications, Pseudo Platform has you covered. Go to market quickly with a privacy platform that is scalable, flexible, and secure. To learn more, visit sudoplatform.com. That's sudoplatform.com. So Evan, I guess at some point you you worked with Homeland Security, or how did that arrangement work? Because I have some questions about. How the crimes change when you're talking about the federal level versus local?
2: As a my first uh, spot as a detective, I was full time at the HSI office, so I was a, I was okay. a paid Pasco County detective, but uh, essentially kind of on loan to Homeland Security with an HSI badge and credentials, um, and work cases federally. So I have a federal indictment that you know I did, and that person's in prison now, and. Worked those types of cases, whatever the case was, Uh, federal law enforcement agencies don't have an obligation to work an investigation, right? They can look at your case and say, not worth our time. Have a very wonderful day. Mm -hmm. And as to where local in a lot of cases does not have that ability to say, hey, we're not going to touch this. Right. So they take things that are much higher thresholds. Right you lost $100,000, well, that doesn't meet our federal threshold of $700,000. So we're not gonna take it, we're gonna wait to the $700,000 mark. Or this is now interstate and it's complex and it's this, and now this is gonna be an investigation that we're gonna look at. In the dark web space, a lot of those thresholds and in internet crimes in general, uh, especially when it was related to kids, those thresholds didn't necessarily matter. We took as much as we could, you know, work and handle and we triage things as they came in because they were all very important so yeah it uh it was a fun experience it was being part of hsi it allowed me to my jurisdiction changed from out of my county to now in the you know aor of of the office i was working out of so it it was fun
0: now i've heard about state actors and using the dark web to to make money like for instance north korea selling illegal arms Are you aware? Does that does that occur, too, at the state level
2: related to state as a a nation state?
0: Correct. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So NST groups, some of them will use the dark web to to, for some type of fraud related stuff. Uh, I want to say that there was information that most of North Korea's funding came from financial fraud, but you're not going to find. And this is an interesting part of the dark web, and it goes back to something I said earlier, where. Just because it's a financial crime or a hacking crime or something like that doesn't mean that there's going to be something that's on the dark web for it, right? So, NST groups, if they're selling something, they're not going to use anything that's tied back to the NST group, right? And they're not going to be, for the most part, on the dark web interacting in the forums because they don't need to learn anything. They don't need to collaborate with anybody. They have their own internal networks and resources to do you know the the stuff that they're doing right it's the same thing with africa right several countries in africa have a large um financial fraud uh coming out of them like a large a large amount of it but you won't find those people on the dark web right you're not going to go to the dark web and say you know john doe 59 is uh, you know an african threat actor that's doing financial stuff because they have their own resources locally that they can talk to and say, hey, I'm trying to do this type of scheme and I don't know how to do it. Can you help me? So you won't find a lot of information on the dark web where people are talking about Africa. It doesn't mean that you won't find anything. But for the most part, you know, NST groups are not going to be operating because they have their own uh, set of things. Now, they some of their individual people may be on the dark web, but it's going to be 100% non-attributable back to that NST group.
0: Hmm. When I was doing my research for the last episode, I was trying to find any stories about people who were just, you know, just curious individuals like like ourselves here, but maybe we, our curiosity got the best of us and then went, started scoping around the dark web and then got caught up in something criminal. Is that, does that occur often?
2: So not that I know of. if If you're going onto the dark web you know, to just kind of see what's going on there and you're not posting anything or doing anything. Maybe you make a, an account on a a marketplace just to see what's in the marketplace. I don't see how you're going to get wrapped up in there. You didn't do anything criminal. Going to a dark web site is not criminal in nature. Purchasing something from a dark web site, contributing some type of illicit data to validate yourself or whatever that is criminal. But just going to the website is, is not inherently criminal in itself. Um, but it doesn't mean that if that site's not taken down, there's not a couple law enforcement officers that come knock on your door and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. how's it going? We're able to link this username that you used on this dark website back to your Facebook page. So we know pretty sure this is you. Why were you here? (laughs) And then when you tell them, Hey, I was there because I was curious, they're going to say, cool, you're going to prove that to us, or you're going to get an attorney and you're going to have to go through the whole roar. But, um, It all depends on the situation, Mm -hmm. but I never came across anything like that in my career where we just knocked on the door of the wrong person, you know, the person in the wrong place at the wrong time type of situation.
0: I'm I'm still intrigued by this whole advertising model on the dark web. Yeah. I had no, that is crazy.
2: Yeah. If you go to any of the search engines that are on the dark web, it's literally 100% where you're back in 1998, 1999, and it's just plaster. All over the place. They're neon flashing. They're all this crazy stuff, and it's it's a time machine. It's like you know, I, I went back to to using the computer on the internet for the first time. Like it's definitely an interesting view on the way things are done
0: on the on the seller side, that the marketplace. We talked a little bit about that. You were saying how you know you're trying to build trust, and you said you really had other. I guess outside of law enforcement, you really hadn't tried buying anything on the dark web can you buy legitimate things on the dark web? And if you can, is that a good idea?
2: Listen, any, anytime that you have to truly anonymize yourself to purchase something, it's probably not a great idea, but I am not aware. And again, I accessed the dark web for, you know, investigative purposes, uh, a instance where something that was being sold was, was valid, right? Even if you're going to go buy a PDF of a book, typically it's a pirated copy of the book. So, yeah, you can absolutely get in some type of copyright issue or whatever the case is and purchasing a pirated copy of a book or being in possession of it.
1: If you need to go buy uh, some pots and pans, you might as well just head to Amazon <laughs> on the clear web. Yeah. Instead do it, of it all being wrong. so yeah, weird about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, because I wouldn't trust you know, you buy some pots and pans from a marketplace and find out, you know, it's addressed to your house, but they're having somebody intercept it because it's got like 14 kilos of cocaine in it. (laughs) And then next thing you know, it didn't get intercepted by the person who was going to sneak the drugs out of it. And you got a box of 14 kilos of cocaine at your house with some pots and pans. It's just not, it just doesn't sound like a good day to me.
0: (laughs) Things just went south fast, right?
2: Yeah. Listen, (laughs) uh, that's uh, that's the world we live in.
0: Yeah. That also you brought up something else I was going to ask you too. How, How how Big is piracy on the dark web?
2: Piracy uh, is not as big as it was 10-15 years ago. Uh things have gotten to where there's not a ton of piracy. Obviously, there's still BitTorrent going on, but you know, when the media companies started attaching tracking cookies to torrents and were going after people via their ISP, a lot of that stuff slowed down. But yeah, piracy still happens. But you know, I th- I don't know of many. Uh, because I just don't pay attention to piracy that much. Uh, dark websites, I believe Pirate Bay still has a tour site uh, related to piracy, but I just, you know, that's not something that's in my, you know, that it just, is worth it for my It just feels purposes. like everything
1: is so accessible anyways nowadays that it's like you almost don't need to pirate anything because it's just like, oh, I'm sure I can find that somewhere, you know, for free. Oh. You know, it's just, it just doesn't ah. seem as necessary anymore. So, you know, you used to just hear people like, oh, they're recording a movie in the movie theater or, you know, it's like, it's going to be on your TV in two weeks. You can just wait. You know, it's like it just doesn't feel like piracy seems like that necessary anymore, I guess, because we have access to so much more. No, and that's
2: absolutely right. And you can go on the dark web and purchase, you know, paid fake or paid accounts for streaming services. Mm-hmm. How they get access to those accounts is probably through some type of an account takeover. Uh, so. Getting access to that is is not smart because those you know, services will get device IDs and IP addresses. But you can go on. I don't remember the cost of some of those, but you know some of your major streaming services anywhere probably from ten to twenty bucks. You can get three, four, five months of of paid up services, uh, and they'll give you the account with the username and password. And and until that streaming service either figure out what's going on or if it was an account takeover the person whose account was taken over gets it back. You have complete access to it.
0: What about fake luxury brands? If somebody wants to buy a knockoff uh, Louis Vuitton handbag, is that? Yeah. Ca- ca- counterfeit items are all day. over the
2: place. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. Yeah. You can get that on the clear web, but you can also get counterfeit items on, on the dark web as well. Mm-hmm. You would go to just a regular marketplace, but yeah, that, that stuff is on there. Obviously narcotic sales um, are on there. Mm. Uh, if, Firearm sales are not as prevalent. Uh, There was kind of an uptick with the Russian-Ukraine war of firearm sales on the dark web. But there was kind of an idea or a thought that um, the reason why the government went after Silk Road so heavily was because of the firearm sales that were on the site. So a lot of marketplaces do not allow the sale of firearms. They're going to an individual site That is allowing it. Most bargain places don't want to touch it because they don't want that type of attention brought on them. But with the uh, Russian-Ukraine war, there was an uptick in firearms, uh, at least availability on the dark web. Hmm.
1: And was that over like in those countries or here?
2: So I don't know the origins of any of the vendors. I just know that that stuff was uh, starting to uh, show much more during that time. So it could be from... Eastern Europe area where people were now selling their weapons or maybe weapons, you know, that were being given to the to the soldiers um, fighting. They were saying, hey, this is I'm using this to get out of here and I'm going to I know somebody who can sell it for me type stuff, you know, however that works.
1: So I guess I'm curious as sort of one of my last questions, if you had to say like the top three maybe categories or issues you saw on the dark web, what would you say are like most prevalent right now?
2: So financial fraud uh related items is number one. By far, it's it's the largest thing uh that people will go on to that, followed by technology related things. And that's it's very broad. So it could be hack for hire services, ransomware, uh, you know, uh remote access tools to breach data, scraped data. There's a lot of different things on there. Um, and then followed that by CSAM related content. Um would be my top three major things. Um, and that's, for the most part, for TORT. Um,
1: what's under the financial fraud? Like what's What are they uh, doing there? The,
2: the technology. So it'd go oh, financial te- fraud, tech technology, itself. and then drop down into CSAM-related stuff. Got it, got it. Um, but the interesting thing with CSAM is most people that are on the dark web don't want or like or see that stuff and don't believe in it. So those sites typically are DDoS the most and you know, people don't like them, which is good. You know, that was a uh, uh, the amazing thing as being a detective uh, is that you know people would see police and they typically you know you know wouldn't be fond of us there, and then we would say, "Hey, we're here for this," and they would be like, "What can I do to help you?" Like they uh. instantly became our own <laughs> personal connoisseurs to help us investigate what we were investigating, and it was oh, that's cool, you know, which is as is, uh, is uplifting to know that yeah. people still care about kids and protecting them. So yeah, more than. Um, more. But yeah, I I would say related to Tor, those are your top three, but there's also, there's multiple different dark webs. I believe there's a total of 17 of them. So your top three or four would be Tor, then I2P, and then either FreeNet or ZeroNet. And they're all kind of different. They all have their own things. The I2P is definitely gaining a lot in popularity due to Tor's DDoS uh, issue
0: multiple i didn't know that yeah it's another layer for me oh man wow so the the two things that i came across often were in my research that the hit men thing wasn't as prevalent as people are saying and that this concept of a red room kind of like a torture room where people are being you know murdered he's laughing over there i want to hear it Is, is is this just is this just an urban legend or is there actually some uh truth to it
2: no, uh, that's absolutely an urban legend. There's no okay. truth to that. So if you listen again, there's always that 1% of the 1%, right? Uh, but if you pay somebody to perform a hitman service on your neighbor because he put up more Christmas lights than you, <laughs> I'm glad that you decided to just give your money away to somebody who ripped you off and you yeah. deserve that. Uh, and that's essentially they're, the hitman services, they're, they're not advertising that stuff on there, right? That That's just not how that works. Um, and Red Rooms are the same way. There are no Red Rooms. Now, you want to see some of the most horrific, gory torture videos of stuff that have happened in real life. Yes, you can find that stuff on the dark web and you'll find, you know, things of cartel torturing or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff from terrorists and and different things like that. Yeah, you'll you'll find that stuff. You'll see those videos. But those but are like real-
1: uploads, not actual like live happening like you've seen the movies.
2: Yeah, Got it's it. not you're, you know, you're interactively clicking, you know, use the saw to chop off a finger. That's just, <laughs> I know. That I'm, so. I'm like,
1: sad. I think I've seen yeah. these movies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh. And, the, you know, that stuff is not there. That, again, is oh. part of that allure, which is why it's really important when companies and people that are starting to build these things out understand kind of that community, kind of what is there and what is on there to kind of focus down what their investigative strategy is going to be. Wow.
1: So do you guys, I guess, because you mentioned sometimes that people can help you solve things. Have you ever reached out to a community to say, hey, we're looking for this guy or we're looking for blah, blah, blah. Can you guys, have you ever used a community forum or a, a sense to help with an investigation?
2: No, okay. it, we wouldn't do that in law enforcement just because you tip your hand, right? If, okay. You know, typically it when people helped us, it's because we went and knocked on a door and we were looking for for John Doe related to this. And we couldn't find John Doe. And then we said, yeah, we're, we're investigating him because of X and Y reason. And they're like, oh, actually he's hiding in the house across the way. He knows you're here. Yeah. He's right over there wearing a yellow shirt. Uh, that's typically, it would be, it, it's much more focused because okay. you don't you don't necessarily want to tip your hand. If somebody knows that you're looking for him. They, and send and him back
1: underground or something. Ex-
2: exactly, and make it,
0: it much more difficult.
2: Got it,
1: that's curious.
0: What What a great interview.
1: Yeah, this was awesome. I enjoyed this
2: one. Yeah, I had, I had a lot of fun. Uh, it was uh, it was a blast. Like I said, you know, I was a hostage negotiator. I've I've talked to an empty house for eight hours on a PA oh, system before, God. so I could talk a lot. And uh, <laughs> no, I enjoyed this. It was good.
0: <laughs> yeah, what a great perspective! I I really appreciate you coming on, taking some time to do this. Yeah, oh,
2: definitely. It was uh, fun. I appreciate the invite. And if you guys ever have any other questions or anything else? By all means, feel free to reach out to me.
0: Yeah, and I think it's great for our audience too because they're not. We got some extreme privacy people out there, I'm sure, but I think it's just good in general for the public to kind of know that the dark web's there, what it's about, and you don't
1: and, have to be so scared of it. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, you do have this image of what it's been, what you've been told over the years of what it is. It is, you know, hit men in torture rooms and selling organs and stuff. But it doesn't, it's not all, you know, it's not all bad.
2: Yeah, no, and I agree with you 100%. And I also think it's good for businesses that are building out like a, a cyber threat portion of their security team, you know, where CISOs are thinking about this stuff. You don't need somebody... You know, With dark web vendors, you don't actually have to access the dark web to get the information that you need. You're paying a company to to do this. And there are several very, very good companies that provide data. My suggestion is anybody that's going to do that, always have two of them because everybody has different methodologies and different focuses when developing and pulling data. But there is a lot of data, and especially if you have somebody full-time doing it that is able to spend time understanding, reading these forum posts, because the dark web vendors will have authenticated themselves into forms to get the good data, you could have somebody that might find the next log4j ahead of time, protect your network before it ever became an issue because it was talked about on the dark web. So it's a really good tool for businesses. And that's also one of the other reasons why I think there's going to be a migration to I2P is that just more companies and law enforcement is getting much more involved in Pulling intelligence and information off of Tor, but you know that can be a, a topic for another day.
0: Well, I appreciate your time, Evan. Thanks so much, uh, and I'm sure your current company is probably super happy that you're on board because it sounds like it sounds like you're you're going to find the threats before anyone else.
2: I hope so. I wasn't expecting to to leave my law enforcement career when I did, but I'm very happy that I did. I, I work for an amazing company, and it,
0: I hope they're happy. I I try hard. <laughs> well, thanks again so much for your time, Evan. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. In our next episode, we'll be looking at the practice of buying and selling digital ads in real time. According to one organization, it's the biggest data breach ever recorded, and it happens hundreds of times every day to virtually every person online. Until next time, don't forget, privacy is a human right.